Today is Wednesday, May the 18th, 2022, and it's a great day to have a day here on the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. On today's show, I break down what happened last night at Founders Park as South kind of closes out their 2022 home slate, losing to the Charlotte 49ers by a final score of 8-3. to Guys, I'll give my full takeaways. Also, we'll name the TSUS Midweek MVP, and I'll talk about what's next for South kind of baseball as well. On that note, we do look ahead to the weekend on today's show as the Gamecocks travel to Gainesville, Florida for the final SEC series of the season as they take on the Florida Gators. Guys, I'll break down the series in its entirety. First things first, we'll talk UF. They're pitching, they're hitting. Of course, we'll look at the South Carolina side of things. Their projected starting rotation, what to watch for, key player for the weekend, and I will lock in my prediction as well. Also, guys, we have got a fantastic conversation, a great interview with former Gamecocks offensive line coach and the current head coach of the Georgia State Panthers, South Carolina's week one opponent, Sean Elliott. joined me for a great conversation, guys, one I know you are sure to enjoy. Sit back, relax, enjoy, guys. It's all brought to you by the Spurs Up Show store. Guys, TSUS.store, the best Gamecocks merchandise on the internet. Head over to TSUS.store for all of your favorite collections, including Beamerball, Shane Storm, Clem Sucks, all aboard the Shane Train, Yardcocks Baseball, Beamer Rattler 22, and much, much more. Guys, we have got everything to satisfy your Gamecocks merchandise needs from t-shirts, tank tops, long sleeves, hoodies, pullovers, koozie stickers, flags, you name it. We got it. Everything you could want and more. Again, guys, that's TSUS.store. TSUS.store, the best Gamecocks merchandise on the internet. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 2022 home slate for the Yardcocks comes 
to a close. Folks, happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, your host, the Spurs Up Show. As always, we have got a lot to dive into here on this Wednesday. We're talking last night's game at Founders Park while also looking ahead to this weekend in the final week of regular season baseball for the Yardcocks. Guys, again, very excited to chat with you all. Hope you had a fantastic week. And again, appreciate each and every single one of you, your love, your support, whether it be the content, the merchandise, the Daily Crow, everything we do. And I do want to start here, by the way, because last night was a really special night, it being the final home game of this season. And I got to see so many of you that we've chatted via social media, and a lot of you I don't get to interact with a ton, especially in person. And on that note, and I'll have a, a video and an official post or a more, a more put-together post, if you will, once the season as a whole comes to an end. But I think it's really important to show gratitude and, and to speak on and let you all know just how grateful I am for each and every single one of you. Because, again, last night, of course, the final home game at Founders Park for the 2022 baseball season. And it's always emotional. You know, you know it's always um, when you know it's the last time you've walked in and out of those gates and the last time we've watched our boys on the field, no matter how tough or how great the season has been. But the people, you guys, are what make it special. And again, everyone that I interacted with over the course of the season, I just really truly want to say thank you. Because as I was putting this script together for this show or putting together my bullet points, if you will, for this show, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, this was something I was doing back way, way back in the day when I lived in Charlotte, far before I was attending every single game at Founders Park, far before I knew many of you or probably the majority of you that are tuned in or rock with us and rock with what we do. And I, I just thought to myself how crazy it is and how blessed I am and how fortunate I am to do what I do. And again, above all else, interact with and be supported by each and every single one of you. It, it truly was a pleasure this season. Everyone I got to talk Gamecocks baseball with or just Gamecocks in general or anyone who took time out of their day to show love, to show support. Man, again, I want to say to you all, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you truly so much. You know, as I've told you before, when we lost sports due to COVID and we couldn't go to games and all that, that was the thing that I miss the most, seeing each and every single one of you, the power in a handshake, the power in eye contact, the power in face-to-face -face interaction. I know many of us, of course, talk on social media, but getting to meet each and every single one of you, man, it, it's just, it was an incredible ride. It, it was a ton of fun at Founders Park. I know the season was rocky. I know the season was tough, but you know what? There, there's no group of people and there's no fan base that I'd rather endure the type of season we just went through with, at least in the home slate, than you guys. So again, thank you all so much. I tell you this, when things do get tough, when they do get rocky, when, hey, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to talk kind of baseball because we haven't been doing well. A lot of it is you guys continuing to push me and motivate me. And, you know, how can you not have perspective and how can you not see the beauty and everything when you see the way it impacts people? So again, guys, thank you all so much for the love and support all season long and uh, looking forward to the rest of the way out, however long, that takes us. Hey, before we really get rocking, I want to remind you tonight, of course, we're live from 10 Roofs, 6 to 8 in the Vista in downtown Columbia. We'll be taking your questions, comments, everything else. Always a really good time at 10 Roof. $3 drafts, $3 rumple, $3 fireball as well. Hope to see you out there again. That is from 6 o'clock 
to 8 o'clock. Great food, great people. It's always a great time at Tin Roof. Um, other than that, guys, nothing really crazy happening throughout the rest of the week, of course, with baseball Thursday through Saturday. And I'm going to touch on that in just a second. Before we do, though, let's talk what happened last night in the final home game of this 2022 season as South Carolina drops the ball game by a final score of 8-3. to three. And I'll tell you guys this. I, I get a lot of crap on social media, right? And, and fairly so. Listen, I, I've made a lot of stupid predictions, and I've given some opinions that were inaccurate. But every now and then, and it doesn't get highlighted to nearly the degree, but every now and then, I kind of somewhat know what I'm talking about. And last night was one of those nights. I tried to tell you Charlotte was a good ball club. Coming into last night's game, hitting damn near 300. And when you combine that, and I know with Matthew Becker on the bump, we found out late yesterday that he would get the start. Many of you said, oh, Chris, you got to change the prediction. You got to change the prediction. We got our guy starting. Well, here's the problem with that. He can't go the entire time. He can't pitch all nine. At some point, that bullpen's got to come in and do a job. And guys, what we saw last night was just more of the same. In a game that I felt, you know what, Charlotte is a legitimate postseason club. What you saw last night, if you did tune in the game at this point, what you saw last night, that's a legitimate postseason team right there. That, 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 that's a team that I think is going to give somebody hell in their regional. If they don't host, which I don't think they will, but if they don't, they're going to give somebody hell, right? And Matthew Becker, tip your cap, did his thing early on. He is our TSUS midweek MVP. By the way, four innings pitch, no hits, no runs, no earned, three walks and four strikeouts to the kid. I, you know, it's great to see him gain confidence, especially going into Gainesville and going in the SEC tournament where you're desperately going to need him. But, you know, the combination of Aiden Hunter, Parker Coyne, Cam Tringali, you know, I was glad to see John Gilreath get a clean inning, his last inning at Founders Park in his career. But that combination of guys out of the bullpen, just more of the same. Just more of the same. And an eight-run inning, one eight-run inning was all it took for Charlotte to get a victory. And the bigger picture of this, guys, because that's what really matters now, right? We're not playing for anything. What matters right now is the big picture. And the big picture is South Carolina is going to finish. They are now guaranteed with last night's loss to finish with less than 30 regular season wins. That alone, need, I don't need to say anything else. That alone is a fireable offense here. That, that alone. Guess what? Guess who never did that? Chad Holbrook. And I know that's not a popular name around these parts, but he never did that. He was fired for a lot less. We can't be hypocritical when it comes to what we demand and what we expect. And I tell you what, guys, expecting to win 30 or more games in a regular season ain't jack shit. I mean, that, that's not expecting anything. That's not expecting anything. Again, you can talk injuries. You, you, you can make every excuse in the book. Not hitting the 30 win mark. I mean, obviously, it's fire Mark Kingston. It, 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 is so, it is so painfully obvious what has to happen. It's time for this program to go a different direction. 
Again, I feel like I'm stating the obvious. No doubt. You know, I will say this, and again, I know there's three more games this week in an SEC tournament, but the home slate is concluded. I, I really feel for these seniors. You know, I talked to a senior's mom last night. Kids are fighting their guts out. Nobody wants to lose. I feel for the guys. I, I feel for the players. I really, truly do. Because it's been a really, 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 really tough year. Really tough year. But, again, what we saw last night was just sort of a, you know, a microcosm of the season. Give yourself some hope early. You're swinging it a little bit here and there. You got a 3 nothing lead. And the bullpen comes in and it all falls apart. And, and what does it say about Kingston? What does it say about Justin Parker? You know, Aiden Hunter getting hit around, that's one thing. Kid's a true freshman. I can live with that, right? He hadn't been his best over the last couple of appearances. But you know what? I, I can live with it. He's a true freshman, guys, learning on the fly. But a guy like Parker Coyne, and I'm not trying to beat up on this kid because I feel for him too, you know? Last performance ever at Founders Park, you give up a grand slam. That's something he will never forget, unfortunately. But how was there no development there? That's the bigger picture. How was there no development with Parker Coyne? How was he still the same guy? Or God forbid, even worse. You know, I, I, could, I could sit here and just say, tip your cap to Charlotte. They're a great, and they are a good team. But again, this is more about the big picture. The big picture being that you now guarantee you won't, wit, you won't hit the 30-win mark in the regular season. And that, guys, is sickening. That's sickening. You're now in danger of finishing with a losing record. Think of how crazy that is. That's like a real possibility for this group. 26 and 25, guys. You now sit. 26 and 25. It's all about big picture now. You've sealed your fate. You've dug your grave. Outside of winning the SEC tournament next week, which, hey, guys, guess what? I don't know if you knew this. It's not even a guarantee you get in. Granted, some crazy things would have to happen, but you, there's, there's still a way you could miss it. But assuming you get in, you'd have to win the whole thing. And that ain't happening. Carolina's never had success in Hoover. At least it's been a very long time. So it's more big picture now. And I said this weeks ago, I said this in the post game last night, but I'm going to reiterate it. I said this weeks ago, probably said it about a month ago, that Mark Kingston has single-handedly destroyed something that I love so dearly, and that is Carolina baseball. And that was reinforced last night. You know, I went with a, with, a, with a couple of friends of the game, and, and I, was, I was so much more interested in having conversation and cutting up with them than I was even watching a single pitch of the ballgame. And, and again, that just speaks to, like, none of us were engaged. None of us were. Because what's there to be engaged in? Mark Kingston ha has ruined the experience at Founders. I'm not even looking forward like, oh, 
you know, my, this goes back to the weekend. The way that I interacted with people when they would ask me, Chris, I'm like, well, it's almost over. Thank God. We should never be saying that. I should be looking forward to baseball going into the month of June, deep in the month of June. And instead, I'm just clamoring for the season to get over. Hey, man, I'm just ready to hang at the pool, bro. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to watch this team anymore. That's sad. Like, we're, we're at a sad spot right now. We are at an unacceptable spot. Unacceptable spot. The experience of going to Founders Park has also been ruined by Mark Kingston. So, again, guaranteed yourself not hitting 30 wins. This is all big picture. Something's got to be fixed. And we know what it is. I mean, it's just got to happen. It's got to happen. And I don't want to sit here and beat a dead horse, fire Mark Kingston, fire Mark Kingston, fire Mark Kingston. Because, again, what I expected to happen, it happened. Charlotte's a good ball club. You're not a good ball club. That's it. You're not a good ball club. It didn't take us 51 games to figure that out, unfortunately. We knew. We knew. I knew a month and a half ago this team wasn't worth a damn. And I, and I hate to say that it sounds so harshly, but it's just the truth, guys. This team ain't worth a damn. You ain't 26 and 25 and worth a damn. I'm sorry. This team ain't worth a damn. And that's just who we are. We all have to wear it. Any of us that rock garnet and black, we all got to wear it. But what are we going to do to fix it? That's the question. What are we going to do to fix it? Because, again, this ain't football, this ain't basketball, where you sit on your hands and you do nothing. Writing's on the wall. We know what the deal is. We, we got to make a change. We got to do something. There's no guesswork here. You don't get 10 years to figure it out as the head coach at Carolina Baseball. And as I told you before, Mark Kingston, going to dig his own grave. The, the nails in the coffin will go in. Was last what was was last night, the last one, or one of the last ones? So again, a disappointing end of the home slate. You know, I, I would, you know, there were so many great Gamecocks in attendance last night, as I mentioned earlier, and, and I know many of you that, uh, you know, were looking forward to seeing the Gamecocks get a W. It was a beautiful night for baseball, by the way, at Founders Park, and. You know, just unfortunately went exactly as I expected. So either way, the Gamecocks go on the road. Season's not over yet. What's next? South Carolina will take on Florida this weekend. Let's dive into that Florida series because I don't just want to continue to harp on the same things I've been harping on over and over. Before we do, though, guys, I want to tell you about our latest partner, latest sponsor. Of course, I'm talking the best real estate agent, the best real estate team in the local Columbia area. That's Marissa Kennedy, realtor and founding member of the Patrick O'Connor team with Coldwell Banker. And guys, the proof is in the numbers. This team helped over 250 families last year. They work with buyers and sellers in Columbia and the surrounding areas. They do premium advertising to sell your home faster with high quality pictures and video. And last year they sold homes for on average 5.4% more than the competition. Now, right now, guys, we're in a seller's market, but Marissa's able to get buyers on their contract in new homes by being available to show homes as soon as they hit the market, collaborating with listing agents to write offers that meet the needs and wants of the sellers, and keeping up clear communication throughout the entire process to ensure that you make it to the closing table without a hitch. Guys, give her a call today, 803-406-1800. That's 803-406-1800. Also, go like her Facebook page, at Marissa Kennedy Realtor. That's at Marissa Kennedy Realtor on 
Facebook. Again, guys, if you're in the market, you're looking for the best real estate agent, the best real estate team in the local Columbia area. Look no further than Marissa Kennedy, realtor and founding member of the Patrick O'Connor team with Colwell Banker. Be sure to check them out. And when you do, tell them that Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. All right, guys. Hey, let's dive in the weekend. Gamecocks beginning tomorrow night. Take on the Florida Gators tomorrow night at 7, Friday at 7, Saturday at 2 o'clock in a three-game series. All three of those contests will be aired on SEC Network. Plus, the head coach of Florida, of course, Kevin O'Sullivan. He has guided the Gators to a 33-19 and record, 13-14 and in SEC play. So a bit of an up-and-down year for Florida. Of course, they're coming off a win last night against Florida State, their arch rival. But an up-and-down year for UF. Um, you know, 13 and 14 leagues, sort of in that log jam. They're right in the middle, of course. It's been Tennessee and Arkansas separating themselves. Florida's just kind of one of those teams that's, you know, right there. They've suffered some injuries, which I'm going to get into right now, the pitching side of things. They have a 4-2-4 staff ERA and a 5.48 SEC ERA. So not too shabby in the bump. And again, the big injury for them has been Hunter Barco, one of the big arms in the SEC. And it's been crazy to see guys dropping like flies all over college baseball. And certainly Hunter Barco was one of the big ones. The projected starting rotation Florida looks like this tomorrow night. Ryan, a pitcher Brandon Sproat will get the ball seven and four with a 3.97 ERA. Then Friday, Ryan, a pitcher Brandon Neely, two and one with a 3.86 ERA. And then on Saturday, the final game, Ryan, a pitcher Nick Pogue, three and two with a 4.70 ERA. So again, Kevin O'Sullivan, who's a big pitching guy, obviously, that's his track record. He's had to shuffle things with the injury to Barco. They've had some other stuff happen as well. But again, still a pretty solid Gators bullpen, pretty solid Gators rotation. You can always expect electric arms at the University of Florida. When you look at the hitting side of things, a 273 team average overall, and they are hitting 244 in SEC play, which is very, very low for a Florida Gator squad. So South Carolina and Florida, uh, it's going to be a battle to see who can scratch out two or three runs and ride their pitching to victories. Guys, we look at the players to watch for, though, a lot of talent on this Gators roster. It starts with Wyatt Langford hitting 365 with 19 bombs and 53 RBI. You then look at Sterling Thompson hitting 354 with 10 homers and 46 RBI. And then Judd Fabian. You remember Judd last year? Went like 0 for 14 with 12 Ks. Turned down money in the second round. He's back, hitting just 239 this year, but 19 home runs and 48 RBI. So, again, I think even at the next level, I don't think he's going to be an average guy, but the pop is undeniable with those 19 log balls. So, again, guys, it's Florida. They've got talent. They've had a rocky year. It's been up and down. They've dealt with injuries. But this is Florida we're talking on their home field. Now, guys, South Carolina. And it may be out by the time you're hearing the sound of my voice, but the starting rotation is TBA. And that's where we start in regards to what to watch for. Because as we saw last night, Matthew Becker went with the Gamecocks. And the word on the street is, and again, I'm sure that you're already going to see this uh, by the time you hear this podcast, but it's sounding like the rotation will be reshuffled. And, and my first two points sort of go hand in hand because with the SEC tournament looming next week, you know, guys, I could argue that this series for South Carolina, I mean, yes, it's very important. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't even matter if you sweep, guys. Outside of seeding in the conference tournament, Carolina ain't making the postseason unless they win the whole thing. <laughs> so you need to be set up. You're going to be playing on Tuesday. You need to be set up well 
going into that SEC tournament. And from what I've heard behind closed doors, it will be a reshuffled rotation because you have to imagine they're going to want to give the ball to Noah Hall next Tuesday. So does he go in this game tomorrow night? And, you know, does he go for, let's say, a shorter outing than we're not used to seeing? Here's the only problem with that, guys, because you know what's so funny? Going into the Tuesday game last night against Charlotte, I was thinking to myself, oh, okay, you know, it might be a Johnny Holstaff game. And I'm like, Johnny Holstaff? Like, who do we have left? We don't even have seven or eight arms that we can really turn to. So everybody is going to have to pitch. So what does the rotation look like? Do they go to a Hall-Sanders-Thomas? Is it a Hall-Thomas-Sanders? Like, how do they approach it? Because, again, the number one concern, I think, what it will be and should be, is handling your pitching ahead of the conference tournament. Because like I said, guys, you know, you want to take two of three or, God forbid, sweet Florida. You'd love to do that. You'd love to close SEC play on a high note. Heck, guys, you can still get to that 15 and 15 number in conference play, although I think it's out the window that that could help you at this point, right? I don't think getting to 15 and 15 means anything for this crew right now. But, you know, as important as it is, and as much as you want to win in Gainesville, you cannot put yourself further behind the eight ball than you already are going into that SEC tournament. So how do they handle the pitching staff? How do they manage those arms when it comes to your starters, your bullpen? How long do they let guys go? Because you have to give guys time to rest, to bounce back, to pitch on Tuesday, because you're going to need all hands on deck. I am very curious. Do we see some guys that honestly guys haven't thrown in a while just to try to burn arms? I mean, that, that you know, you might get to a point where guys Friday or even Saturday, you've lost the series. You're not going to throw your best guys. You're going to save them for the SEC tournament. So the way that Mark Kingston, Justin Parker, the way that they, you know, they move the pieces around and try to try to try to handle this pitching staff, you know, I'll be very interested and curious to see just what that looks like in games this weekend. Of course, guys, you got to talk about this. What I'm also looking for, you have to mention the road woes. Um, you're, you know, we're asking South Carolina to go on the road and do something they have not done all year, and that is win. South Carolina, for whatever reason, just has not had any sort of success on the road. And simply put, you're, you're just not going to have a good season when you have these type of splits. The Gamecocks, 4-12. and 4-12 and 12 on the road. I, it's just not going to get it done. It's, it, and what's crazy, but what's crazy, is South Carolina sits a game behind Florida. Carolina can finish ahead of Florida, guys, in the SEC East. Believe it or not. But it feels like Florida is so much better of a team because of the overall record, because of, you know, you look at the home road splits, Florida has not had the struggles you've had on the road. It feels like Florida's so much better of a ball club. And I don't know if it's been youth, if it's just been, you know, we've talked, we've been trying to figure it out all season long. Is it youth? Is it just not having the last at bat? Is it facing adversity? Is it facing road crowds? What is it? that makes this team turn into a pumpkin. Yeah, I mean, that's what it feels like, right? The carriage turns it back into a pumpkin when we go on the road. I don't know what it is. It's a different ball club at home. But you got to win on the road. Hey, guess what? You're in Gainesville for three, and then you go to Hoover. You're away from home again. If you're going to start to build some momentum away from your house, you got to do it this weekend. Uh, guys, something else I'm looking forward to offensively. 
you know, you turn to your veterans. Can Josiah Seitler just keep it up? I mean, the dude's been red hot. He's been our hottest stick. He's been the guy you turn to, a guy's on base. Can he keep it going? Because, again, you're going to have to swing it. And Florida has been susceptible on the bump. I mean, they're not great. 5.48 ERA in SEC play. So they can be hit, right? They can be hit. And while I expect Noah Hall and Will Sanders, those guys to do the thing, the pitching woes are obvious. You're going to have to score to win. But I'm really curious, just locked in on Josiah Seitler. He has been, I mean, his season, guys, I talked about last weekend how we needed to stop and appreciate how good Noah Hall has been. And I echo that. But let's do the same for Josiah Seitler. Because, I mean, this kid's season, it, it has been unreal. And, and doing it on one leg with a bum ankle, it's been incredible. So, can Josiah Seitler continue to sort of be that spark plug and carry the Yardcocks offensively? Because, again, if you can get hot, and you have been hot over the last couple of weekends, Florida hitting just 244 in SEC play, maybe you can outslug the Gators in games this weekend. And, guys, the final thing, the final storyline I'm paying attention to is just the overall fight for SEC tournament seeding. Now, I mentioned earlier that South Carolina could technically still miss the tournament. That is not likely because the Gamecocks would have to get swept by Florida. And while that very well could happen, Mississippi State would have to sweep Tennessee. While that series is in Starkville, I do not see that happening. <laughs> Just The odds of that happening are very, very, very low in my opinion. So the Gamecocks should be in, but what seed will they be? And you look at the SEC East. 14 and 13, 14 and 13, 13 and 14. There you are at 12 and 15. Look at the West, 14 and 13, 13 and 14. The records, there's a ton of teams right now jumbled up, right? The higher the seed, the better. Where are you going to land? Taking two of three or, God forbid, sweeping this weekend in Gainesville would certainly help your case in regards to getting a more favorable matchup. So when the dust settles, where is Carolina? Where do they sit in the bracket? That's what you're fighting for this weekend when you take on Kevin O'Sullivan's. Gator Ball Club. Uh, guys, let's move to the key player of the weekend. Right? And I thought to myself, what hitter could it be? Is it a bullpen guy? I turned to Noah Hall because realistically, realistically on the road, you know, you might only win one. And you just need Noah Hall to be at his best. I don't I'm, – I'm, I'm almost starting to lose trust in Will Sanders. I certainly don't have trust in anybody on the other day. So Noah Hall gives you your best chance to win a ball game. This weekend, he has every weekend, right? And I think he's sort of becoming the tone setter, and I think he will probably get the baseball tomorrow night, and he needs to be the guy that, again, sets the tone, sets the tempo for this weekend, right? Even if it's not in a winning effort, can Noah Hall continue to be the guy? Can he continue to be rock solid, steady Eddie? Can he continue to be that guy for you? I think it's pivotal. I think he's got to throw well for you yet again. You absolutely need him, right? Your sticks have got to do their thing, got to play great defense. But I think Noah Hall at this point, he is your tone setter. He is the guy everyone turns to. So can Noah Hall do it yet again? We've asked him time and time and time and time again, every single weekend. Noah, we're asking you one more time, my guy. We're asking you one more time. 
please do the damn thing. Folks, going to lead me into my prediction. How will South Carolina baseball fare this weekend when they take on the Florida Gators? And, and certainly saying that this team is desperate. This team is in desperation mode. I mean, that's putting it lightly, right? <laughs> you sit 26 and 25. God forbid you don't want to finish with a losing record. I, I mean, of all things, you don't want to finish with a losing record, right? You don't want to. And this team, again, guys, Jekyll or Hyde. Is it the carriage? Is it the pumpkin, right? This team has turned back into the pumpkin every time it's gone on the road. This is a ball club that at home plays like a top 25 caliber club, finds ways to win. On the road, they seem to just find ways to lose. Will that change? You know, Florida's had a very up and down year. Um, losing Hunter Barco, you know, they've been very inconsistent offensively. But you take a look at what Florida's done, guys, of late. They had a slow start in SEC play. And they are also, by the way, 20 and 10 on their home field. But Florida beat Florida State last night. Listen to this. Their last couple of SEC series took two of three from Mizzou, swept Mississippi State, took two of three from Kentucky, before that, they got swept to Tennessee. But you look at their one, two, they've won their last three SEC series in a row. Florida's feeling good about themselves right now. They've got a ton of momentum. Again, beating the 20th-ranked Florida State Seminoles, their arch rival last night at Condren Family Ballpark. And I think you couple that momentum, South Carolina's deficiencies. I mean, again, guys, there's four pitchers you can trust right now. And I don't know how the hell they're going to manage this pitching staff. Because you just don't have – you don't have enough arms to even manage a pitching staff. Like, you got to throw your guys. You don't really have a choice. You don't have a choice at this point. So, with that being said, you know, I think it's a club. They're going to continue to fight. They're going to continue to scrap. That's one thing this club has done all year long. But I don't think it'll be enough. I, I think the Gators, they'll have the edge at home. They're hot. They're playing good baseball. South Carolina is just left searching – trying to figure it out. I don't think it's a sweep, but I do think Florida takes two of three. Lock me in. Give me Gators taking two of three from South Carolina this weekend in the final SEC series of the 2022 season, which would put Carolina right at 500, right? 27 and 27 heading in the SEC tournament. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, I think the Gators do take two of three. Uh, I think it'll be, like I said, another hard-fought SEC series. I think it'll come down to the wire a couple of times, but being on the road, I, I just think, unfortunately, Carolina will find a way to lose a ball game. Florida will find ways to win ball games, and uh, they'll have the upper hand taking two of three this weekend in games. Well, guys, I'd love to hear your thoughts, your opinions on everything, your key player, what you're looking for, overall thoughts on Florida. Hey, if you got any thoughts on last night and what happened at Founders Park and just your overall thoughts, your overall thoughts on the state of the Carolina baseball program, guys, would love to hear from you. Guys, that's going to do all for me here on a Wednesday. Do not go anywhere, though. Interviews are back. I told you guys, the interviews are heating up as the weather heats up. The interviews heat up, and boy, oh, boy, we got a big one for you today. Former Gamecocks offensive line coach, the head coach at Georgia State, guys, who South kind of takes on 
in week one of this year. So you're going to want to hear everything Coach Elliott had to say about his time at South Carolina during Steve Spurrier's great run, uh, the 2015 season when he was interim coach, coaching now, relationship with Shane Beamer. You know, the first game he gave us a little tidbits, little hints. I tried to dig it out of him what his game plan was, but, you know, Coach Elliott close to the best. But an awesome dude, man, a great human being, an absolute hoot and uh, – yeah, somebody that I really do appreciate taking the time. It was an absolute blast chatting with him. Guys, again, appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you all so much for the continued love and support. Be sure to come out to Tin Roof tonight. We'll talk to you soon. In the meantime, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks offensive line coach and current head coach of Georgia State, Sean Elliott. All right, guys, joining us in the Spurs Up show a very exciting conversation, a very exciting interview, one that I've been looking forward to for a very long time. He served in a couple of different roles during his time in Columbia. He actually started his football career playing at Appalachian State up in Boone, North Carolina, coach there for a while, but of course served in Columbia as the offensive line coach, the run game coordinator, and the co-offensive coordinator, different roles from 2010 to 2016. Now, currently, he is the head coach of the Georgia State Panthers, and they have had a ton of success since he got there in 2017, winning three bowl games. They've won back-to-back bowl games, and they've given a fair number of SEC teams some trouble over the last couple of years. Of course, the Gamecocks open up with them this fall, but someone, again, I'm very excited to chat with because he was an integral part of what Steve Spurrier did, those great teams, that great run from 2010 to 2013. Of course, I'm talking former Gamecocks offensive line coach and current head coach at Georgia State, Sean Elliott. Coach Elliott, appreciate you taking the time, man. It truly is an honor and a pleasure to have you on, sir. Thanks for doing well, this. I, I appreciate that, man. That was a pretty good introduction. I don't give that a lot of places. <laughs> I, 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 you, you're possibly recording this, so I may have to get a copy of that. Yeah, uh, hey, we are recording, so I, I'll definitely send you a copy. And anytime you need a guy, if you guys need something for, like, the scoreboard at Georgia State or whatever little hype yeah. video, I, uh, I got you. I, I will say this just on a bit of a side note that, uh, you know, growing up, my family, we used to have a condo up at Beach Mountain. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar. Yeah. Sugar Mountain, Beach oh, yeah. Mountain. And so I always, though, had a soft spot for Appalachian State growing up. Of course, I've been a Gamecock fan yeah. my entire life. And, it, you know, probably around 11 or 12, so around 2002 or so is really when it sunk in. And I understood, like, what my grandfather, what he was yelling about the TV for all these years. And that's when kind of the diehard set in for me. Sure. But I remember sitting in the garage with him. And, again, we had that condo up in uh, Beach Mountain. And we'd go to Boone. So we sort of had this soft spot for App State. So I remember watching, you know, our, our, you know, uh, uh, Hillary at quarterback or Hillary at wide receiver and Armani Edwards and those teams yeah. and three straight national titles. And so that was a lot of fun, man. And I guess I'll start with there. Obviously, you started your career. You played at Appalachian State from 92 to 95. You coached there 97 to 98 as a defensive assistant. And then you really served in different roles. And, of course, your main one, the offensive line coach, 01 to 09. Just reflect a little bit on your experience in Boone as both a player and a coach. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, uh, from the time that I, I actually went, uh, uh, my first year was 1991. Uh, okay. So I, I rolled in there in 1991 and uh, and rolled out of there in 1995. So uh, it was it was an awesome experience. I mean, uh, as a player, uh, our head coach was unbelievable. His name was Jerry Moore. Uh, he, he believed in, in basically everything that was instilled in me as a player uh, from my dad and uh, the coaches at Camden High School there in South Carolina about being tough and being physical and, and hard work and great effort and, you know, doing more than what, what was expected. <clears throat> it was just, it, just an incredible run. We were very successful. Uh, I think my senior year, we were the first ever 
Division One undefeated Division One football team in the state of North Carolina. We uh, finished our regular season right there at eleven zero, and uh, made, I think we made it to the semifinals and lost them. So we finished up twelve and one, which was a, a, a magical year. But it, it was it was thrilling. Great friends. I got an opportunity to stay on and and coach for Jerry Moore up there for another I guess 13, 14 years. And the success just, you know, it, it just happened. It just uh, was built up under him, the excitement, the energy. We recruited really, really good players. Uh, we were fortunate enough to win three national championships in a row in 05, 06, and 07 with a lot of great players from the state of South Carolina. Uh, I remember I used to go in and, and think that uh, I always got the best player from South Carolina to come to App State. Uh, the Coco Hillary's, the Armani Edwards, the Richie Williams from Camden, South Carolina. Those were our quarterbacks and wide receivers. A couple other got great players that I would always get. Uh, a local receiver right there, Brian Quick, that was a, a big-time player for us, NFL guy we took out of there. And, and we just went on to do extraordinary things. And I really thought that, uh, you know, my life was complete. I thought I'd stay in Boone for the rest of my life. I'd coach there and probably die there. Uh, my, my kids were born there. I met my wife there. So uh, Boone really holds a special place in my heart, of course. Coach Elliott, before we move into South Carolina, obviously you're taking that job, you were on the field for the upset in the big house against Michigan. Can you describe yeah. that day and that moment? Because I think folks still look at that as, as the greatest upset in college football history. No, it, it is definitely the greatest upset in college football history. Uh, and, and I say that just because of the, the scholarship difference that we had, you know, and, and the way we recruited there at Appalachian State uh, and the way they recruited. But it, what an unbelievable day. Uh, it was a day that we all felt that uh, that something special really could happen because we had such great players. Uh, like I said, Armani Edwards right there was from Greenwood, South Carolina, was our quarterback. Uh, Coco Hillary was our wide receiver. Brian Quick was another wide receiver for us. Uh, it, it was really magical. And we were really good. I mean, we had just come off winning back-to-back national championships. Michigan was, a, uh, a, I think, a preseason or ranked at that point, top four, top five, something like that. They had Chad Henney, Mike Hart. Uh, they had an unbelievable left tackle, Jake Long. That's, uh, I mean, he, he, he's been incredible. And it was just one of those opportunities where we went into it really thinking we were going to take it to them. Uh, and we, we, we did that because we had won a lot. And, and we had been – uh, we had one of the highest level, uh, you know, winning a national championship. But to go in there and do it in front of 106,000 people on the opening day, it's the first day of the first game of the Big Ten telecast, a Big Ten network. Uh, it was it was truly remarkable. And it was a day I'll never forget. It was just a magical moment. One of those things in life that, uh, you know, everybody probably has one of those times in their lives that you're just never going to forget. Uh, and being on that field for that three and a half hours that day is three and a half hours. I will probably never forget the rest of my life. Uh, you know, I, I hope I'm very fortunate to have my memory uh, until the day I pass away because I've got a lot of great memories and uh, that one stands right there at the top. Now, Coach, Steve Spurrier gives you the call um, and you obviously take the job. Yeah. Just talk about how that came to be. Like you said, you thought you were going to be in Boone the rest of your life and, and yeah. Steve Spurrier was building – what eventually, you know, when you got there, you guys did over 10 to 13, of course. But, um, you know, I, I think offensive line play, the run game was very, very important. And we saw what I thought was so interesting. You know, we saw Coach Spurrier evolve from this fun and gun, throw it 50 times a game to South Carolina, you know, when you were there, depended on run game and defense. And yeah. obviously he knew that we needed to run the football at an elite level. 
You're bringing in Marcus Lattimore, but the offensive line, that offensive line play. And so he gives you a call. Just, just talk about how that came about. What Was it a tough decision to leave Boone? And uh, what ultimately led to this decision for you to uh, head to Columbia? Well, to be honest with you, you know, uh, from an outsider looking in, I really didn't have it. Carolina, but no, no assistant coaches I went really close with. I, I knew a couple of those guys, but not not to the point where I could be like, hey, you know, push my name to Coach Spurrier. And I didn't even know the job had come open until my brother, uh, which is a South Carolina graduate, of course, uh, he, he calls me up and says, hey, man, you want to, you want to apply for the O-line job at South Carolina? I'm like, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're not going to hire a guy from FBS to come be the O-line coach in the SEC. And I said, plus, and, you know, they were struggling. And I, it was a lot of, you know, at that point in time, South Carolina was kind of on, they were teetering, yeah. you know, and they just come off that bowl loss, and yeah. and it, it was a it was a tough, you know, deal. I think at that time for the Gamecocks and probably Coach Spurrier. But I always uh, knew that if there was only a couple jobs that I would leave Boone, North Carolina, for, and you know, one being the University of South Carolina, meaning because it was right from you know thirty miles from my hometown. Yeah. We grew up Gamecocks, and and I always had that uh, you know, a little special place in my heart for that team mm. uh, so it was a very very easy situation but I sent a resume down there and just lo and behold coach Furry actually looks it over and uh, like I said I don't know how many people get a job in this day and age by a resume but uh, <laughs> he actually gave that resume back to me a few years later and where he had written and made notes on it underlined some things and and, and circled some things and put an exclamation part mark by some things and 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 actually that that's what did it. I mean it was it was good work over a amount of time at Appalachia State. He gives me a call and says come and interview. I come and interview and you know it was during the course of that bowl game against Connecticut. They were it was just a bad situation. They weren't playing very well and just looked pitiful and in the third quarter I I sent him a text and uh, I just said I can help your football team and the next day I get uh several Miss phone calls while I'm in church. I walk out of the church and it's from Coach Spurrier. And I call him back and he said, How soon can you be here? And I said, Well, it takes about three hours, but I'll be there in about an hour. Uh, and I, it, it was, it was, it's very easy. I was going to take, I mean, I, I wanted that job and I knew I could make a difference in that football team. And so it was a very easy decision for me and my family. Uh, and we went down there and we, we made the most of an opportunity. It was a, it was a great opportunity. I still, uh, you know, I'm, I'm forever indebted to, Coach Spurrier, because not many people could have taken a chance on a one double A offensive line coach, uh, but he did because he was Coach Spurrier and he could do that, and uh, and I think it worked out well for both of us. Yeah, I would say so. And Coach, I was going to say I've been fortunate enough, like I told you off the air, to, to get a lot of different perspectives from former players and even former coaches. Your good buddy, I'm sure, Brad Lowing. I've had multiple conversations with yeah. him, and he coached under Coach Spurrier on the defensive side, and that's somebody you went to battle with every single day in practice, but. The dynamic, being the offensive line coach and the run game coordinator for Coach Spurrier, again, the, the, the stories are just endless. But, uh, you know, what was that dynamic like? Again, I'm sure on the offensive side, he's holding you pretty accountable to protect his quarterbacks, if nothing else. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a lot easier to protect his quarterbacks when you're a, a third and short or a second and short or second and medium instead of being <laughs> in a third and nine and third yeah. and long situation. So, you know, I, I really didn't have to do anything. It's just kind of – show him how our run game was going to evolve, how it was going to be out of the gun, how we're going to have opportunities to run and pass. But 
but really, and I, and I never told him, Hey, we need to push the run game to the forefront. I think with anyone, any smart individual, if you become successful in doing something, you're going to continue to do it. Mm. And I hit, uh, I call it lightning in a bottle, I guess you would say. And uh, a few of us came in there that really made a difference. Uh, Marcus Lattimore shows up. I show up with a zone read, uh, run game, some other variations to, to bring in a little different um, mentality. Uh, I can remember sitting in the press conference after I got hired. Some reporter asked me, said, do you think the zone read is going to work in the SEC? And I was like, well, I mean, I mean did I put an extra defender out there? I don't know. I mean, what – What's so special about it? Why wouldn't it work? But once he saw it worked, uh, I won't say it was bought in, but he, he trusted and, uh, and he didn't dabble in the run game. He, uh, he said, coach Elliott, give me, give me the runs you want, put them on the hashes you need. And, and, and when I ask for a run, you give me a run. And that's how it worked out. And, you know, the rest is history. Marcus came in there. Connor Shaw was there. Uh, Garcia was a little bit of a mobile quarterback at that time as well. Uh, but we just hit it. Uh, we hit it all at a really good time, and uh, and it really took off. Yeah. Now switching gears a little bit, Coach. What you became so well known for, at least for fans, is the uh, the mosh pit in pregame. How, how did that come about? Is that something you always did at App State, or is that something when you got to Columbia you started? And, uh, what did you feel like that did for your guys up front? Yeah, you know, I I had really never done that. Um, we had played a Western Carolina football team, and that was kind of our rival yeah. at Appalachian State, and I think it was. I can't remember what year, but we very regularly lost to them. Mm -hmm. and, and they clipped us one year. And I remember coming back the very next year and before that ball game with Western Carolina, it just – something just snapped in me. I got them all in there in a huddle and, and um, you know, I just, I just went off. You know, I was pushing, shoving, hitting. I was probably kicking and – and, and it, it, I've never, I've never seen, unless you can be in a huddle with some bigger guys in that state, we didn't really have as the big, taller guys like we typically had at South Carolina, but they went crazy. I mean, it was like, it was like a feeding frenzy, the mentality that it, their eyes changed. It was like, Hey, this ain't just a regular routine. Come out here, warm up, do some kick sets and post sets and, and drive blocks and let's go off the field and play a football game. It was, it, I turned it into a street fight. And when I saw that, when I saw how it happened, it, it was almost like they just fed off it. Every week was like, what can we do? And how are we going to make this better? What are we going to do? It even got to the point at Appalachian, uh, where actually my offensive line coach here, John Holt, that we were playing Walford one night and Walford had actually beaten us the year before. And uh, they come out and I'm sitting there swinging a chain and my offensive <laughs> line GA has got a bat in his hand. And then it was on. Then it was on. I mean, it was on. People go, <laughs> you know, those little advertisement things they put on the sidelines. Some games. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were getting flipped over the advertisements. I mean, it was it was fights, and and we ended, I think we ended up beating them that night, seventy nine to twenty one. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it just evolved. So when I got to South Carolina, it was going to be no different. I wanted to see, you know, just exactly what uh, what these guys would do. And I think I did it in a spring game when I first arrived. And mm -hmm. Their eyes got really, really big, and they're like, "Hey, wait, who the hell is this guy right here? This little five, ten and a half, two hundred twenty-five pound looks like a half-bit linebacker. Uh, what you know? What's he bringing?" But they loved it. They they generated intensity and the same type of effort, and it was just fun. You know, sometimes they ended up with a lot of bruises and some some broken bones, some shoulder injuries. But uh, you know, it's just 
just who I am. That's just how I, how I'm kind of, I don't know, programmed. For sure. And like I said, I'd say it worked out really well for you, Coach. And, and we could just spend hours just talking about different moments from specifically the era from 2010 to 13, from yeah. you know going to the SEC championship. I mean, just doing things that had never been done in Columbia, going to the SEC title, winning 11 games for the first time in school history, doing it three straight seasons. You know, we could spend time talking about specific games. I mean, 2012 yeah. Georgia, 2013 Clemson. Oh, by the way, you being part of a five-game win streak against Clemson. I'll give you the floor, though. In that specific window, you know, 10 to 13, Coach Spurrier was building, but did you ever imagine the type of success that you guys would have? And and just being a part of that, where, where does that sit for you and rank as far as um, things you've done over the course of your football career and just what stands out from your time at South Carolina specifically in that run? You know, it's uh, I've been I've been very blessed. Excuse me. You know, I, from the time at Appalachian, doing things that's never been done before. Three national championships championships in a row had never been done before. I think we won, I don't know, eight Southern Conference championships in a row, and then going to South Carolina was no different. Two thousand ten, we go to the SEC East Championship for the first time ever. I certainly didn't pull that off, but you could feel something was coming, and then. You know, three straight 11-win seasons, never been done in school history. It was just crazy, you know, the the rivalry versus uh, the Clemson Tigers. You know, we, we, we had the upper hand. That was that was amazing to be a guy from South Carolina as a Gamecock fan. And then here I am, a Gamecock coach, and helping lead the greatest run ever over the Clemson Tigers. Uh, there was a lot of special, special moments, but I, you know, the, the, the people that I came in contact, the success, uh, the fans, uh, the players, there's so many different things. You know, it, it was really a little bit more special to me because I was a South Carolinian. Mm. You know, I want, I want a guy just here for the next job. I want a guy here to boast my resume and go take the next opportunity and run down the road. I, I was a South Carolina guy. I mean, and so it meant a lot to me. And and those games still to this day hold, I mean, they're, they're right up here. I mean, they're they're right up here. You, you talk about 2010. I remember we opened up with Southern Miss, and I thought it was the greatest win of my, my career, you know. <laughs> and, and, and it was because we, we were trying to, to, to better a football program. We come out and we beat Southern Miss. And I remember Coach Spurrier looking at me going, hey, you ready for your first game? This was the next week. Yeah. And I said, you know, I kind of laughed. He's like, hey, Georgia, you know, we got Georgia this week, big boy. You know, what you going to do? And I think Lattimore rushed for maybe 200 yards on 37 carries. And uh, it, I was like, yeah, coach, that zone reworks pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it. you know, yeah. yeah. But there, there's so many great things. I, I think working for Coach Spurrier and just how he lets you enjoy and the game of football was fun. He never took the fun out of the game of football for me as a coach, um, how he engaged with our families and, and just all the times there, man, it, it, those are, those are really, really good memories. I mean, really good memories. For sure. And like you said, coach, I mean, it speaks for itself, the success you success you guys had on the field and just all the wins, all the victories, all the games. I, I want to move to 2014 and 2015 happen and things start to slip, but you get an opportunity yeah. because coach Spurrier, obviously in the middle of that 15 season, he announces his resignation and you are appointed the interim head coach. Um, you know, again, I'm sure we could spend a lot of time just talking about how that sort of came about and sort of the confusion and the madness around counter football at the time. But 
just talk about for you personally. I mean, again, getting the opportunity, like you said, you're from Camden, you're a South kind of guy, and you yeah. have the chance, you know, for really the better part of the second half of that season in 2015 to yeah. be the head coach at the University of South Carolina. Yeah, certainly not the way I envisioned it. <laughs> and, uh, right. you know, I don't think there's any coach in college football goes and learns how to become an interim head coach uh, five games or six games into the season. Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of time left. There was a lot of time. There's a lot of games, uh, a lot of things that go through your mind in different situations. I can remember the night when it all went down. It was that Monday night after we played LSU. And, mm. you know, the announcement comes, and he really doesn't tell us on the field, but the buzz had already, for some reason, he kind of told the players and, but it didn't really come out and tell the players. And so they all ran to me and or my offensive line or our offensive line at that time. And they say, I think Coach Spur just quit or retired or did something. I was like, what? And at that point in time, Ray Tanner comes and says, hey, we need to go get up in the uh, in, in the staff room and be up there in 30 minutes, you know, as quick as possible, whatever it was. And at that point, Coach Spur made the statement that um, he was done. He was turning it over to someone else or whoever they de- determined. And uh, that was just it. There really wasn't much more explanation. And it was shock. And, you know, the, the, the rumor spread very, very fast, as you can imagine. Uh, <clears throat> and it spread, uh, you know, of course, to my wife. And, you know, we're an assistant coach and your head coach resigns or quits or whatever it may be. That's, that's a pretty tough situation. It's kind of like you walking in, someone walking in today and saying, hey, you're going to be fired. You're done. Right. You know, but you still got to work the next – eight to 10 weeks, you know? So um, Coach Tanner and, uh, and and those guys were searching for the interim, and I remember right away, you know, they, they said they were going to talk to some assistant coaches. And uh, when they walked into my office, I think they walked in about 10 o'clock, and, and I just point blank, and I said, I, you know, I'm your guy. I mean, they, there's no question about it. I, I'm the guy that can lead this football team, and and I'll do everything in my power to try to get us better and, and create excitement and create fun. I said, but uh, – you don't have to go talk to anyone else. And of course they went and talked to some other guys and on staff. And I went home and it was just after midnight and I'm going to paint you a picture right here, but I'm walking in. I've got two very young children. Uh, they're in bed. My wife's crying. You know, she's like, we just lost our job, you know, all that stuff. And, and that was a tough situation. And I was sitting there thinking, this is the greatest situation. I can't wait for them to call me. You know, I was still worried about my job and everything, but I was like, this is, you know, this people don't get this opportunity. They don't, they don't get to learn quote unquote trial under fire. Like I'm going to get to do. Um, So I wanted that opportunity. So when the call came in and I was told that I was going to be the interim head coach at something 1204, 1205, right after midnight, like I said, my wife was crying and I was smiling and, and I was like, I don't know how it's going to end, but man, it's going to be, we're we're going to do everything we can to be the very, very best we can. And there wasn't a lot that I could do as far as changes. I mean, you you certainly know that they're not going to just hand you the keys to the car and say, go do what you want. Uh, But we did create excitement. We did play better. Uh, It was very unfortunate. We didn't get a a few more wins than we did, but uh, we played very, very well. And, you know, a lot of people love to point out that that Citadel game, but, uh, you know, we, we go, we beat Vanderbilt, we play Texas A&M, you know, right there to the bitter end. And I think we lose by seven. Tennessee, we're a fumble away from winning. 
Florida, I think, ended up being a 10-point defeat, but we played them very, very well. And uh, it was really after the Florida game that I saw kind of the excitement because we held our own, the excitement as a team, for about four weeks there, knowing that we're playing better and better and better. But when we lost to Florida, I could see it all kind of deflate. Mm. And it all came out of our guys in the locker room. And that's why I was changing kind of the, the helmets around. I was trying to ge- generate excitement, uh, you know, things to get the minds off of the players that they were they were worrying about, you know, what's going on here, what's going on there. Hey, here's something to throw at them that, that they're just going to change their attitude. And then we ended up losing to the Citadel, which was, you know, it was tough. It was a tough game, tough situation. Uh, but at that point, we were so flat. And, uh, you know, our, our mindset wasn't where it needed to be. And certainly that falls on the interim head coach at that time. But after that game, I remember looking at him and saying, we got one more shot. You know, what do you want to be remembered for? Let's go play this Clemson bunch. Let's give them hell. Uh, they're the number one ranked team in the country. And it'd be more than anything for myself and our football team in this tough, turbulent season to go whip their ass. And, and we gave everything we had. I mean, we played them right to the bitter – I mean, the bitter end. And yeah. I think we ended up losing by four. Yeah. And uh, I even kicked an onside kick with about 10 seconds to go in the game. And I, or maybe less less than that go in the game than that. Uh, just to let them know, hey, we weren't ever going to quit. You better get your damn hands team out there. If we get this ball, we're going to throw a Hail Mary. We're going to beat your ass again. So, <laughs> it, it was an exciting time. I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, it, it prepared me to – be and do what I'm doing today here at Georgia State. Uh, so I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, I still think those six games for myself were the greatest six games of my coaching career. Coach, what were those conversations like after that season in regards to South Carolina was looking for its full-time head coach? Did, did you feel you had a – I don't know if I'm phrasing this correctly, but a realistic shot to get the job? I mean, where did you feel like you sat? Was it something that you felt like after the season that you're going to go back to being the O-line? I mean, just what were the combos like? Because I know there were a lot of people in your corner wanting you to get that job. Well, you know, I'm a realist. You know, I, I see things not through glasses. I, I see them straightforward. So, so I knew there wasn't an opportunity for me to get that job. Uh, what I did know was I, I can go out and do the very, very best I can. I can put everything into South Carolina football that I've already done the previous, whatever, six years. And maybe, just maybe, whoever they hire, um, that he might keep me around. You know, and I knew that still was going to be hard. Uh, but, no, you know, uh, the powers to be, you know, they needed a name. They they wanted a name for whatever reason. And and I have no idea how, how I could have done as the head coach of the University of South Carolina. I, you know, if you ask me, I would have said pretty damn well. But, uh, you know, they went out and they hired Will Muschamp, and everyone knows how that kind of that kind of ended. Uh, and, you know, it's just, just the way it went. But, yeah, I, I really never felt like there was an opportunity for me to be the head coach at South Carolina. Well, Coach, you did get your opportunity. Obviously, I, I had actually forgotten this, by the way, that you did serve as the offensive line coach in 2016. But you get hired by Georgia State as the head football coach. And I have to imagine again, that especially after the experience in Columbia, being a head coach was something you desperately wanted. And it was a goal of yours and an opportunity, yep. like you mentioned earlier. Uh, I just love to hear again, you know, your perspective, getting that opportunity and your experience at Georgia state, because again, like I said, you take a look, 
Uh, you win a bowl game in your very first season. You had a rough second year, but after that, seven yeah. and six, six and four, eight and five, and you've won back-to-back bowl games. And again, like I mentioned, I mean, you've given some SEC teams hell. I think of Auburn last year. I think you guys yeah. beat Tennessee in 2020. Yeah. I mean, just talk about your overall experience in Atlanta and, you know, just some of the accomplishments uh, since you've gotten there to Georgia State. Well, I want you to know that uh, I'm very fortunate to be. I, I'm the third head coach here in Georgia State history. Mm-hmm. I'm also the winningest coach in Georgia State <laughs> history. <laughs> so there wasn't a whole lot of success coming here. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of kind of what, what we talked about earlier. I, I became really interested in this job because I wanted to do things that had never been done before. That's my entire career. That's, that's really what my motto is. I mean, it, it, that's what I want to achieve. Uh, and I knew there wasn't a lot of history here. This this program is just 13 years old. I want you to understand that. I mean, 13 years. I've got I've got a son and a daughter both older than our football program. Uh, so we come in here. I get hired, and uh, I'm very very fortunate to lead this program. We got a great group of guys. We got a great culture here. Uh, the city of Atlanta uh, is fertile. The city of Georgia or the state of Georgia is is, is a great opportunity to recruit. We got great facilities. We do win our first bowl game in school history in 2017. Uh, first division uh, FBS winning season uh, off that team. I think we lost 34 players off that team. So it went straight to rebuild uh, the following season. And we, we I wouldn't say we failed miserably, uh, but what we did, we, we created a culture. And I created it basically the exact way that me and my staff wanted to do it and bring in. Uh, a tremendous recruiting class. We were playing a lot of young, young freshmen. And we said, hey, we're going to build it from the ground up. And we know we're going to take our bumps. But then a long haul, we're going to make this uh, a really, really good program. Yeah. So we do. We, we, we slip that second season. We go in 2019. We defeat the University of Tennessee, opening up the game. And, you know, that was incredible. Uh, we had a really good football team. We were just starting to come into our own offensively. Had a great leader and our quarterback, Dan Ellington, that's actually on our staff now. And, and I, you know, just like every upset, we didn't shock uh, ourselves. We shocked everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we defeated those guys very handedly. I mean, we ran the football. We controlled the line of scrimmage. Uh, we put up points. I think they scored there at the with no time on the clock to, uh, to get beat 38 to 30. Uh, but, yeah, and then we go on, we go to, uh, playing the the trying to the Arizona Bowl that year, we lost our quarterback to an ACL injury, but continued to play for us, mm-hmm. which is really special. It says a lot about a young man. But he tore his ACL in the sixth game of the year and finished out the season on a torn ACL. Mm-hmm. We were real thin. I talked to you about you know playing young players. He was a JUCO quarterback that we had time. We lose that bowl game, but we we said, man, we're we're almost uh, where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Come out the next season, have another. Great con, uh, great. I, I say a great season because anytime you're building off wins or number of wins that you've never done, that's that's a pretty good season. Mm-hmm. Go and win the uh, uh the uh, I think that was the Mobile Bowl, beat Western Kentucky. We go back to another bowl game this year, most wins in school history, defeated Ball State on Christmas Day. That's something uh, you'll never forget playing a bowl game on Christmas Day. And then uh, getting one of the better Christmas presents you ever get in a, in a big time defeat. I mean, a big time win, but defeating Ball State that was awesome. So we're on the up and up. Uh, you know, we're we're trying to. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're we're trying to, you know, continuously build this program into what what it can be. We're certainly not 
the SEC. We had a real close contest, contest against Auburn last year with about – I think we had them a fourth and 11 uh, last play of the game, and, and, and they converted uh, to beat us there at Auburn a year ago. That's just uh, that's just who we are. We're we're fighters, mm. you know. It's kind of like me fighting in pregame. I fight these guys in the locker room. I fight them on the field, and I'm gonna fight them in practice. And we have a lot of fun. Uh, we raise a lot of hell, and uh, we just got a really, really uh, close knit group that just enjoys hanging out and and playing the game of football the way it should be played. Now, Coach, obviously, Coach Beamer enters his second year with South Carolina football and is someone that you worked with during your time in Columbia. Uh, your overall thoughts on him getting the job, being the head coach, and obviously, you face him in South Carolina the first game of the season. I won't ask you for any secrets for game one or anything, but, uh, you know, your thoughts going into that one, coming back to Columbia as a head coach and, again, facing off against Shane Beamer. Yeah, well, I, I'm a coach that doesn't have any secrets. I mean, there, there's no secrets. You're going to get beat because we're going to line up and out physical, you know, out block and tackle you. But, mm-hmm. but no, you know, uh, Coach Beamer's done a good job. You know, uh, yeah, probably, a, you know, I think if you ask anyone, probably a little bit shocking that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was hired as the head coach. And, and I won't say shocking, but yeah, there's a bunch of other guys I think they went through. And then mm-hmm. he was very fortunate enough because he's so – He's such well-educated. He's got a great mind of football. And, you know, he, he does a really good job in recruiting. He's got a great rapport with his players and people outside that program. So it's probably, you know, it's, it's just what I, I think South Carolina needed. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if I would have gotten the job uh, after the interim. It, it would probably, you know, if you ask me, it was probably what South Carolina needed. They didn't need another name. They needed somebody to go in there and love that university and love that, that program. And that's what they got with Coach Beamer. Uh, we do come back and play there September 3rd. It's going to be, uh, you know, everybody's trying to make it out to be a little bit bigger than what it is for whatever reason, I guess because I coach there. And and actually my family still lives in Columbia. So uh, it's going to be fun. I love williams Bryce. Uh, I've won a state championship in williams Bryce. I've won, you know, big to beat, beat Alabama there, the number one team in the country. But I haven't stood on that other sideline. Uh <laughs> So I'm going to go and I'm going to be standing on that other sideline and, you know, we're going to play our butts off. We're going to give it everything we got. Uh, like I said, there's no secrets. Uh, South Carolina's an up and coming football program, just like we are. So we're going to go, we're going to play 60 minutes of hell and see what shakes out. And, you know, after the game, we'll move forward. We still got a Sunbelt conference to go win and they still got an SEC to try and win. But I, I really can't wait. You know, uh, there's going to be a lot of fans in that stadium that, uh, may become new Georgia State fans, some that already are Georgia State fans. But uh, all in all, we we just uh, look forward to the experience. Well, Coach, we're all looking forward to your return. And I, I know Gamecock fans are bracing up or bracing for a really tough physical football game. And uh, obviously the start of year two with Shane Beamer. But looking forward to it, man, really sincerely looking forward to your return to Williams-Brice. And it should be a really, really fun day. Uh, on September 3rd. Coach Elliott, I'm going to get you out of here, but I appreciate you taking yeah. the time, my friend. Again, wishing you and your Georgia State football team nothing but success. It's been awesome to watch your journey through the coaching ranks and so happy for you and your family, all the success you've had. And I expect much, much more of it as well. And again, really looking forward to September 3rd. It's going to be a ton of fun. But again, thank yeah. you so much, Coach, for taking the time. Let's definitely do it again soon for sure. It's always a pleasure. I mean, uh, anytime you talk about my experiences and good, really great experiences from the University of South Carolina or from whenever – um, my career path has taken me. It's always a special time to reflect because, like I said, those memories are what's really what it's about. 
mm-hmm. and and being here to talk about South Carolina football a little bit, and then to have the opportunity to come back and and see all them Gamecock fans. And you know, I'm, I'm still a Gamecock fan. You know, that's that's the way it is. So I, I look forward to being there September third. Always a pleasure, and appreciate you uh, offering up the opportunity. Yeah, Coach Elliott, thanks so much, man. Again, he's Sean Elliott. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.